0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl,
1: and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
0: Rick, we get a lot of uh, books over the transom here at Powerhouse Politics from politicians. Usually in an election year, it seems like this is the uh, you know the, the way the way the way it goes. Is you know you 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 run for office, you write a book, and a lot of these books, quite frankly, aren't really you know aren't as satisfying as you you might hope. They they look more like campaign propaganda than books. But we have a book that has landed um, on our desks here, and we're going to be talking to the author. Uh, The author is a politician. She is running for re-election this year. Uh, But I've got to say, this is a different kind of book. Uh, This is Joni Ernst has a book out called uh, The Daughter of the Heartland, We've got some stuff I want to get to before we bring in um, Senator Ernst uh, to, to to speak. But I I just I want to say this is a really interesting, at times gut wrenchingly personal, uh, a book uh, where uh, Senator Ernst talks about uh, being the victim of, of uh, domestic abuse, a painful divorce she went through just uh, just over you know while she was in the Senate. Um, psychological abuse she is she has endured uh, and an interesting statement uh, about the state of our politics this is not this is not a typical campaign book by any measure and we look forward to talking to Senator ernst uh, shortly but before we get to that um uh, Rick uh, I mean I I kind of uh, don't know where to start because we have a couple of fascinating developments here in the emerging campaign 2020, um, one of which is the president versus Twitter, uh, but also the president versus the guidance of his own centers for disease control on the issue of wearing a mask.
1: Yeah. And this took on new residents in the political campaign because uh, we we saw Joe Biden emerge from public for the first time in, in more than two months. And of course. He was wearing a mask. The president has not, uh, to date, worn a mask anywhere that he believed to be photographers to be present. He said different explanations uh, for that. Uh, He he has seemed to question why other people are wearing masks at times, despite that guidance from his own CDC. And it's a real contrast, I think, in the culture wars of 2020 to see uh, the masked uh, opponent uh, in Vice President Biden and the unmasked president of the United States.
0: Yeah, and and uh, the president seemed to mock Joe Biden's uh, wearing of a mask with, uh, you know, as he often does this stuff uh, uh, through uh, through a retweet. Um, and he was asked about this uh, by our colleague, our Reuters reporter uh, Jeff Mason, uh, who uh, asked, you know, was he was he really making fun of Biden for for wearing a mask in public? And the answer is interesting, but more interesting is the follow up. Take a listen. Now, Biden can wear a mask, but he was standing
2: uh, outside with his wife, perfect conditions, perfect weather. They're inside. They don't wear masks. And so I thought it was very unusual that he had one on. But I thought that was fine. I wasn't criticizing him at all. Why would I ever do a thing like that? And uh, your second question was, I couldn't hear you. The can second... you. Can you take it off because I cannot hear I'll, you? I'll just speak louder, sir. Oh, OK, because this... You want to be politically correct. Go ahead.
0: So so that's Jeff Mason. In the Rose Garden and, of course, like virtually everybody else in the Rose Garden at that moment besides the president and some of his senior advisors was wearing a mask. And uh, he's telling him to take it off so he can hear him. I mean, that's fine, I guess. But, but then to mock him, the wearing of a mask in public as being, quote, politically correct
1: I well, know, and, right? it, 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 yeah, and that's, of course, not how the CDC is defining it, but it is politically resonant, and that's how the president is viewing this. Uh, it would seem that he thinks it's some kind of a, a sign of weakness to, 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 to show that mask, or to show yourself in a mask, uh, which is not what the guidance at all is from public health officials. And to me, John, it fits in with the broader messaging that we're seeing from this president right now. He needs the perception that the country is back on its feet, that is on the mend, and that well before November, we're going to have an economic revival. And that's why you see him making noises about moving the convention to a friendlier location. That's why you see a, a series of attacks that have been launched even in the midst of this pandemic. The president wants things back to normal, even if the country's not there yet.
0: And of course, the ability uh, to get the country reopened again and get people back to work may depend in large part by how diligent people are on, on being smart. And part of that is wearing a mask to help prevent the, the spread of this disease. Uh, Joe Biden was asked about all of this by uh, my, my friend and uh, former colleague, uh, Dan Danabash of CNN. Take a listen. He's a fool, an absolute fool to talk that way. I mean, every leading doc in the world is saying we should wear a mask when you're in a crowd. And especially when you know you're going to be in a position where you're going to inadvertently get closer than 12 feet to somebody.
2: It's just absolutely uh, this,
0: this macho stuff for, for a guy. Well, I shouldn't get going, but it, it, it just is. It, it's cost people's lives. It's costing people's lives. He shouldn't get going. Huh? Some people think you probably should get going, Rick.
1: They'd like that. Yeah, this is the first big interview he gave even in person outside. It's a new time in the campaign when the vice president uh, feels like he can emerge in public and uh, do even a public event as he did on Memorial Day. Uh, And as he turns toward that, the Biden campaign is telling me they're going to sharpen their messaging against uh, against President Trump. So, yeah, maybe he does start to go there. We heard a nickname recently uh, for him. Uh, we'll see if, if, the, if it gets more aggressive from the vice president's perspective. But I think tellingly, he changed his Twitter handle, uh, the, the photo in his Twitter, Twitter profile to include uh, Joe Biden with those signature aviator sunglasses and a mask, a black mask.
0: But the real story this week, uh, really quite astounding step uh, taken by Twitter. Uh, Some would argue maybe a long, long, long overdue step. Uh, Some would argue a step that oversteps Twitter's bounds. Uh, But Twitter actually uh, putting essentially a a, a fact check warning on on two presidential tweets. What's this all about?
1: Yeah, this is a new one, and it's a new policy that uh, that Twitter has uh, rolled out with President Trump for the first time. That has actually labeled his tweets right there on Twitter as quote potentially misleading, Uh, and you you can you're then urged by Twitter to quote get the facts about mail-in ballots, and there are then um, a whole fact-check page of information about this issue. um, In this case, um, his false claim that uh, mail-in ballots would Uh, would lead uh, to widespread voter fraud. He is saying it flat out that there's no way to trust an election that way. Of course, John, as you and I have covered for many years, there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud attached to mail-in balloting. In fact, uh, most voting experts think that there's been less fraud with mail-in voting. But this breaks a a pretty important barrier down. Um, A lot of folks... Have been calling on um, the, the Twitter to remove some posts that the president has been making on unrelated topics that, that we may want to talk about regarding a certain cable talk show host. Twitter won't do that, but they now appear—they um, appear likely to. Uh, begin to label things that the president or maybe other political candidates uh, uh, are putting out there as, quote, potentially misleading. The president, of course, is not happy about this. He's lashing out at social media, even um, you know, threatening to have new regulations, maybe even uh, just, just saying it won't stand in, in, in some way, shape or form. But that, that's a pretty big moment. And we'll see how the president reacts on his favorite medium.
0: You know, but but first of all, uh, on the question of this mail-in vote fraud, I mean, the president is making wild, unsubstantiated uh, allegations. When you do uh, all mail-in voting
2: ballots, you're asking for fraud. People steal them out of mailboxes. People print them, and then they sign them, and they give them in, and the people don't even know where they're double counted. People take them away. They force people to vote. They harvest. You know what harvesting is? They take... Many, many ballots, and they put them all together, and then they just dump them. We're not going to destroy this country by allowing things like that to happen. We're not destroying our country.
0: And, you know, I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's important to point out that, you know, there's always a possibility of vote fraud, no matter how people vote. And there have been, you know, cases over American history where uh, people have tried to cheat the system. But there are also safeguards that are put in place, especially on mail-in voting. Uh, you know, many of the states, you've got barcodes attached to your, uh, uh, to, to your ballot. Uh, of course, the names are checked. Nobody can vote more than once. It's, there, there, there are steps that are put in place, and I think that it, it's incumbent upon uh, state electoral officials and, and others, maybe you and I as well, to kind of go through uh, the steps that are made to ensure the integrity of the ballot, whether it's an in-person voting or vote by mail. I think this is, this is essential, especially when the president is saying stuff that's just not true. He's basically suggesting that Gavin Newsom is sending out, you know, votes to anybody, whether or not, uh, they're, uh, you know, ballots, whether or not they are, they are vote registered voters or citizens of the state of California, suggesting that people will be copying those and voting many, many times. This is all stuff that actually under the safeguards that California has in place actually cannot be done. Um, but anyway, put 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 that aside for for a second. Twitter has done this, uh, put the fact check in there. The president has responded by suggesting that he could shut down Twitter. Here's here's what he, he I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives. Voices. Ironic for a guy that has how many Twitter followers? Was it 80 million? Um, Anyway, we will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. And then later, uh, just a short while before we, maybe about the time we were coming on to record this podcast, the president tweeted again um, Twitter has shown that everything we have been saying about them and their other compatriots is correct big action to follow i mean does the president think he has the power to shut down twitter and what i guess facebook uh, i don't know who else he's talking about uh, you don't need you don't need to answer that question rick the, the the real question i want to ask is how did twitter not label uh, a similar warning about on these tweets about joe scarborough i mean the president has now Repeatedly gone on Twitter uh, to suggest that a television talk show uh, host and former Republican congressman from the panhandle of, Cal- of, of Florida is a murderer.
1: It, it, yes, and of course that's not true. It's been widely disproven. There's nothing there. And the president has been spreading this nonetheless on Twitter and uh, in, in news conferences when, he, when he's asked about it. And, and this highlights how difficult this is for social media companies to begin to police and, and why – uh, taking that kind of editorial judgment step, even of, of labeling something as potentially misleading, of including fact checks, is a is a, is a very slippery slope. Uh, and and I'm curious, the president doesn't really have power that he thinks he does in this case, or it seems to state that he, he does in this case. But this is going to create quite an issue uh, if and when a Democratic politician does something that's even slightly potentially misleading. Uh, what kind of standards are applied there? And how does the president react? I mean, he he relies on Twitter. He is uh, He is a creature of Twitter. A lot of folks think his Political rise would not have been possible without Twitter and his access to these millions of followers. He uses it. Like no president ever has before, like no politician has before. Does he take his tweets and bring them somewhere else? Does he bring it to a new platform? Um, does he, or is this just some more saber rattling? Because in this time, uh, this, the, the, the self described wartime president has been looking for new people to have wars with. Um, anything that isn't uh, really talking about COVID 19 has been something that's welcome to him. Uh, he has been bringing on new political fights at this time that the country is still at this tense moment.
0: So I uh, asked Kelly McEnany, the White House press secretary, about these uh, these attacks uh, on on Joe Scarborough, and also the pleading of the family, specifically the widower of of, 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 of the of the woman who died in uh, in Scarborough's office back in two thousand one. Um, he is uh, uh, her, her husband now. Widower is practically begging the president to stop saying this stuff and urging Twitter to take down the tweets. So I asked uh, McEnany about this. The exchange – well, <laughs> it's not the most satisfying exchange but I want you to hear it. Why is the president making these unfounded allegations? I mean this is, this is pretty nuts, isn't it? Uh, the president's accusing somebody of, of possible murder. The family is pleading with the president to, to please stop uh, unfounded conspiracy theories. Why is he doing it?
1: Well, you know, I would note that the president said this morning that this is not an original Trump thought, um, and it is not. In fact, 2003 on Don Imus's show, it was Don Imus and Joe Scarborough that joked about killing an intern, joked and laughed about it. So uh, that was, I'm sure, pretty hurtful to Lori's family, and Joe Scarborough himself brought this up with Don Imus, and Joe Scarborough himself can answer
3: it. He's the
0: president of the United States, and he's accusing somebody of possibly murder. I mean, this is different. He's, he's, he's not a private citizen. He's the president.
1: Yeah, and Joe Scarborough, if we want to start talking about false accusations, we have quite a few we can go through about Mika asserting... Uh, I'm,
0: I'm asking, about the, Mika uh, I'm asking about the president's allegations. And, I, and I'm
1: replying to you and saying this morning, as recently, I believe it was this morning or yesterday, Mika accused the president of being responsible for 100,000 deaths in this country. That's incredibly irresponsible.
0: You know, the, 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 to have the president make allegations like this without evidence, and then uh, the president the, 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 Press secretary asked repeatedly, not just by me, by by others in that room, will he cease and desist? Will he answer the pleadings of the family to stop saying this stuff? Let alone the, the pleadings of of Joe Scarborough to Twitter to uh, also to, to to not allow the spreading of of, of this misinformation and slander. I mean, it's, it's it's really something else. And the answer is to deflect and say, but somebody else said this. Somebody else did that. Um, and it's and if you look at the president's Twitter feed right now, frankly, you know we're we're approaching the hundred thousand deaths mark th- deaths mark for uh, COVID nineteen, um, and just just look at this Twitter feed. It's you know Obama makes Watergate look like small t- potatoes. There's another tweet about quote Psycho Joe Scarborough, the attack that I just mentioned uh, on Twitter, suggesting big action to come against the social media platforms. Um, I don't know. Looks like deflection.
1: Deflection, and I think also information overload. And uh, you know, I've been talking to some Democrats this week about this. You know, they had their Memorial Day weekend um, subsumed by talk about uh, how, how Joe Biden uh, said on a radio show that uh, you ain't black if you're thinking about voting for Donald Trump over him. Uh, and look, Democrats were, you know, rightly dissecting that for several days. Those were awkward, uncomfortable. Uh, comments that were widely denounced by many Democrats, but President Trump spent that same Memorial Day weekend golfing in the middle of the pandemic, spreading conspiracy theories, um, maligning the, the the personal looks of people like Nancy Pelosi uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, and and throws so much stuff out there. There's such volume of potential outrage that it just goes by in a blur, and he doesn't seem to be held to account for uh, for these these legitimate outrages that he throws out there. No other president. Has done anything approaching this? Uh, no other candidate has done anything approaching this, and it all comes at this this very tense uh, time where the country is worried about COVID nineteen. Um, there was a, uh, a, a an awful police uh, police killing in, in Minneapolis that's captured a lot of headlines. Uh, it's a moment where a president might be expected to lead, might be expected to rise to an occasion, uh, and there's been a whole lot of messiness coming from the White House.
0: Yeah, since that story broke in Minneapolis, we've seen repeated. Uh, uh, you know, tweets about Scarborough and the like, and uh, and nothing on that yet. Uh, so let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Senator Joni Ernst, and, and as I said, Rick, and I know you you spent some time reading uh, th- this book over the last couple of days. Uh, this this is not a campaign book. This is this is a, a, a this is a, a book well worth your time and a deeply personal story. We'll be back in just a just a short moment. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Uh, We are joined now by Senator Joni Ernst, of course, Senator from Iowa and author of the new book, Daughter of the Heartland, My Ode to the Country that Raised Me. Senator Ernst, thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So uh we were just talking about your book and and I have to say, as I just told our listeners, uh I, I am really impressed and moved by this book. This is not your typical campaign book in, in any way. And you um you tell some deeply personal and painful stories uh in this book that, that could not have been easy uh to tell. I, I wanna get to that, but before we do, I, I wanna I wanna Talk to you about the way you describe our politics because I think you have a you have an important message. One thing that I don't find in this book really <laughs> is personal attacks on other politicians and other you know uh, uh, political uh, leaders. I don't find a lot of invective. I don't find any you know I don't find hate. I don't. I mean this is this is a very positive message. Uh, which in our time actually oddly stands out. So I want want to read a passage and and get Mm -hmm. you to elaborate on it. Um, You write, uh, Both sides demonize their opponents and make them into caricatures of evil. It can get exhausting, but I refuse to accept that that's the only way to operate. I learned in the military that you can be tough without being mean and that the mission requires people to be united in a higher purpose. That does not sound like you are describing our current politics.
3: (laughs) Well, I do have a different take on politics. And I can certainly be Iowa nice, but I can be strong. Um, I have never been a hater. Uh, I don't want to waste my time on hatred. And I know absolutely that the other members within the Senate members that at one point I may disagree with them, but on another day I might actually agree with them on a topic and want to work with them to find a solution for my Iowans or for our Americans. And I think that's the way we need to operate, whether it's in the in the military, whether it is in the Congress, um, no matter where you are, where you find yourself, um, sometimes you will have odd alliances and you won't agree on everything, but I, I don't like the fact that we demonize so many people, and I think that's truly unfair because everybody – uh deserves a chance to explain their positions and their policies and that's what we should be doing is is focusing on those policies not personalities
0: okay so you know where i'm going to go with this you know exactly where i'm going to go with this because you you are a supporter of president trump i mean you are one of those that's also willing to stay where you disagree with him um in contrast to some of your colleagues uh but but president trump um has not operated in anything approaching what you are describing here. And he just over the past couple of days, uh, we have seen him of course, bring up this uh, conspiracy theory suggesting Joe Scarborough is uh, not just somebody he disagrees with politically, but a murderer. Uh, We've seen him retweet um, uh, attacks on Nancy Pelosi, attacking her as a quote skank Stacey Abrams as Shamu. Uh, We have seen him, um go after people in in a way that's not just not not this is like beyond personal attacks these are these are slanders these are these are hateful attacks how do you how do you process that and have you uh i know you talked to the president You, you 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 mentioned in the book that you you speak with him somewhat regularly have you urged him to stop
3: well, and again, everybody is going to have different leadership, you know, types. The way that they lead, uh, the way that they conduct themselves. I what I can do, and what I tell my constituents is that I will carry myself in a way that I see um, becoming Iowa. And I I do have disagreements with the president on occasion. But because I do have the opportunity to work with him as well, I have seen some of the truly good. And that's why I don't like to typecast any one person in any one set. Um, I talk about the time after um, the abuse became very public through my, my divorce that the president took time out of his day. And no policy related he just called me and basically said, "I am so sorry that this has happened to you, and there are great things in in your future." So you know, basically, hang tough. So I have seen uh, also the very the very tender, compassionate side. Of the president, and I see that frequently, especially as we're talking about COVID nineteen and and some of the other issues that exist across our our great country. Uh, he he cares very deeply, um, but again, going back to leadership styles and the way we conduct ourselves, I can handle the way I conduct my own business, and that's what I I focus on.
1: Senator, you're going to be on the ballot at the same time as him this fall in a state that he carried. Uh, uh, f- uh, four years ago very much hopes to keep in his column. Uh, you'll find out who your Democratic opponent is just in a couple of days. The Iowa primary is, uh, is just uh, just next week. D- do you wish it would stop? I mean, do you, does the party of you think it, it, it would be easier to run based on the kind of politics that you're espousing here and not have to answer for the kind of politics that the president seems to espouse on a pretty regular basis?
3: Well, one thing that I have seen across Iowa, and I saw this four years ago as well, is that there is a great frustration with politicians that are just the same old, same old and aren't giving voice to their concerns. Um, So how many times have we seen presidents in the past that have allowed other countries to run roughshod over us? And President Trump doesn't allow that. And so Iowans are really excited uh, to see a president like President Trump that's willing to stand up Uh, to others, to other countries, to really point out um, some of the unfairness that has existed, especially in trade, where, you know, so many media outlets really have tried to say how how hard this has been on the farmers. And yes, our farmers are going to be uh, the first to tell you going through some of these trade wars was really difficult, especially with China. But you know what? The president was getting it right. They acknowledged that. They acknowledged that China has treated the American farmer poorly for decades, yet no president had the wherewithal to stand up for them and lay it on the line. And we finally have a president whose attitude is, this is what I have promised in an election cycle. And this is exactly what I'm going to follow through on. So as I'm I'm hearing from Iowans in these different uh, phone sessions, now I'm not able to get out on my 99-county tour, you know, as, as much as I want to right now. But um, but certainly, they are expressing, we are so glad that we have the president that is leading in the way that he does, especially when it comes to foreign nations. So I, I'm, I'm just going to harbor a guess, and it's not based on any polls, but I think the president will carry Iowa once again.
1: You mentioned China in, in your book, and you say it gets to the point where uh the president knows your position on tariffs so well that he almost preempts your conversation. And say, I know you disagree with me <laughs> on, on this. <laughs> uh, but China's been in the news quite a bit. And, uh, and obviously with, COVID, with the spread of COVID-19, the president has been, uh, been, been saying that um, it was Democratic politicians like Joe Biden who've been cozy to China over the years. But I, I'm curious to turn that around a bit. There's there is there's a whole raft of tweets and public statements the president made early on here where he was praising China for its handling of COVID 19, even the transparency of China. Do you, do you feel like his efforts to get a trade deal with China slowed in any way the federal response and taking COVID 19 seriously?
3: I don't think so, uh, not at all. And I reflect on our federal government's response to COVID 19 the way I reflect upon uh, the time that I was deployed to the Middle East at the very beginning of the Iraq War. Um, as a young company commander, I only knew what information that was presented to me at that time. Um, and the president's response and in working with China was that he only knew what information was being presented to him at that time. And we now know that China was very, very tricky and deceitful in the numbers that they were releasing and, and what exactly what was occurring within China. And so I think the president has uh, taken that information and moved forward with it. and And we need to see China do better. They absolutely must do better. And they must be truthful about what's going on with coronavirus. And had they been truthful, Much earlier on, um, maybe our the way we handled our federal response could have been different. But I think the president has led quite well on this issue where, again, he only knew what he knew at that time. And what we've been able to learn about the virus as the pandemic has gone on through these last several months has been very telling. And as we move through that, we're able to make adjustments as a federal government in the way that we are responding and working with our governors.
0: So I, I want to get to your personal story uh, told in this book. But first, just just to get see if I can specifically get you to answer the last question I asked, which was, you know, I, I asked you if, you if you had asked the president to knock this off. Let me just, let me rephrase it. Would you like the president to knock this off when he is accusing a talk show uh, host, of a political show host of murder, insulting and deeply, uh, uh, personal uh, ways uh, people like Nancy Pelosi do you, do you would you like to see him stop uh, this this kind of uh, very much not Iowa nice uh, behavior.
3: Well, again, and it's it's difficult to give a direct answer because, of course, I would respond very differently. But the president and and the way he leads is a very different way. You know, I'd I'd love to rub a little Iowa nice off, um, but certainly it gets media attention and negative or or positive. It's obviously getting media attention. Um, So again, you know, I'd like to rub a little Iowa nice off on him. Um, But certainly when he's speaking out, he's drawing attention to certain situations. And if he were really Iowa nice in those situations, probably wouldn't get the the media attention that he does. Uh, So again, a very, very different leadership style, but uh, he is getting the attention.
0: Not sure what attention he gets out of the uh, the Scarborough text It's uh, it's that's positive, but uh, but but let, let's let's move on. Um, you describe in in your book. Um, I mean it's it's a it's a you you, you talk about your your service in the military, your 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 upbringing, running for office, and uh, and you tell a story of really three. Um, very painful chapters. One is uh, as a college student, uh, you were a victim of rape. Um, as uh, you were a victim of domestic abuse when your daughter Libby was, was very young and you went through a very painful and hurtful uh, a divorce uh, while you were serving uh, in the Senate. Um, and I, I want to, if, if you don't mind, I want to read a, a, a passage that is frankly gut-wrenching um, from... Ah, uh, you know, describing your domestic uh, the, the domestic abuse that you suffered, and 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 get you to to talk a little bit about your decision to to write about this, and what and what this means to you. Do you mind if I read this?
3: No, please go ahead. It's
0: from, it's from your book. Uh, I was uh, you're describing your your, your ex husband, Gale, um, and uh, uh, you, this is a this is something he did to you. Um, I was behind Gail on the the stairs, and suddenly he turned around and grabbed me by the neck with one hand and threw me down on the landing. It all happened so fast I had no time to react. As I tried to get up, Gail put both of his hands on my neck and started pounding my head onto the floor. His anger and strength were too much for me. Dizzy and caught off guard, I was unable to fight. My throat closed, and I couldn't scream. I honest to God thought he was going to kill me. My only thought was I am going to die. Uh, this, is hor- this is horrific, and you you describe getting your getting your daughter out of the house um, and and going going to see your mother after this. Um, and you 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 thought at that moment, you know, was, uh, of, of, of possibly reporting it, possibly filing for divorce at that moment. You 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 didn't. Um, and, and now, and you, and you kept that, you held this secret with you for so long. So this, this painful episode in your life, can you, can you talk about your, you know, your decision to, to, to obviously some of this came out in your divorce uh, over the last couple of years, but, but can you, can you talk about your decision to write about this?
3: Yeah, this was probably one of the the hardest things was um, going through an experience like this and being outed um, really because I didn't want anyone to know. And when the victim's advocate who worked in the county courthouse where I worked, when I went to visit with her the next morning, she had wanted to take me up to the hospital so that I could have a physical. And I told her, absolutely not, because I had friends that worked at the hospital. It's a small community. Everybody would know, and not so different than what so many other women have gone through, whether they are survivors of sexual assault or domestic abuse. Um, there's a shame associated with that. It wasn't something I wanted to talk about openly. I didn't want people to know. Um, There's, there's hurt, not only in being physically hurt by someone that you love, um, but knowing then that that would also hurt my family. And it would be something that you know, my my siblings and my parents would carry. Our neighbors would carry, knowing that I had been hurt. Um, it, you know, it's something that that I struggled with. Um, it was really hard to write about that and one of the driving factors behind the book was that after all of this came out, and it wasn't my decision to go public with this. Um, It was outed because the records were not sealed by my ex-husband through the divorce process. And I wasn't ready to talk about it. But in receiving calls... And letters and postcards and emails from so many women, not just in Iowa, but across the United States, who had suffered um, through those same situations, they would write me and say, Joni, you were a battalion commander, you were a lieutenant colonel, you're a United States senator, you went through all of that, and yet you moved on and did something great with your life. And I thought it was important to be able to share that, you know, that my upbringing from the farm carried me through the military. That resilience carried me into the United States Senate. And understanding that those singular incidents that happen to us throughout our lives don't have to define us as a person. I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. And I want women to understand that, and men, because I actually had a number of men that reached out that had been in similar situations, but that you can go through horrific challenges in your lifetime, but don't let that define you. Become that survivor and drive through those situations, exhibit that resiliency, and define your own life in the way that you want it projected whether that's in your community, to your state, or to your country.
0: Well, I, I, I really admire your courage um, for being so, uh, so open about this, for being so candid in the way you were describing uh, what happened and, and, and your journey. And that's just part of it. Um, this happened years and years ago. What, what, what year was this?
3: This was years ago. And it was um, a period of time when my husband had just started a new job. Um, I'm not going to say the employer in town, but had started a new job. I was working as the county auditor. And, you know, it had come out of a a relationship that he had with another, another woman, and I Mm -hmm. was objecting to that. And so he um you know took the actions that he did and it's been very hurtful going through that but it was it was 15 years ago mm-hmm. and it was a long time ago and it's something you say you know courageous but i don't think that i was courageous because i wasn't ready to come out and talk about it it wasn't i wasn't ready to to explore those feelings and have people know that I had been so vulnerable. Um, I didn't want them to question, you know, well, why did you stay with your husband? I mean, so many women will go through that. Well, I loved my husband. Um, so I can't say that I was courageous. It was something that I compartmentalized. I locked inside of myself, and I was outed. Um, I didn't want to talk about it publicly, but because I think it has given comfort, um, maybe assurances to others that have gone through similar situations, that I felt it was really important to share that. Uh, so I don't see myself as courageous. Um I'm, I'm okay to talk about it now, but, you know, it is something that I don't know. Maybe I would have kept it inside for the rest of my life. Uh, I certainly didn't want other people to hurt through my hurts. And, again, I think that goes back to being that farm girl and being very stoic and, and going through difficult situations but not wanting to burden others with our own troubles
0: because cause you stayed with your husband for more than a decade and Good. and and clearly there may not have been there may not have been more physical abuse like that but there were psychological abuse I can I can feel it reading the pages of of, of, of your book and and even as you're you're experiencing I mean the, the, the unbelievable highs of, of, of running for the Senate winning that improbable campaign I mean nobody really thought you were going to win that Republican nomination, you get elected to the Senate. Uh, you're, you're you're given the, the keynote address at the Republican convention. Uh, there's even talk of you of being the, uh, the the vice presidential candidate. You're one of the you're one of the most, you know, you're one of the rising stars, one rising political star stars in in the country, and you're still enduring, um, you know, frankly, a, a, a abuse at this point, psychological abuse. I, I mean, and forgive me if that's not how. I mean, that, that's the way it reads to me. Um and and I talked to you during that time I had no idea what you were going through and and I you know I don't know I, I wish I could have said something to you and uh, mm-hmm. offered I mean you're you're somebody you're somebody I'm covering you know as 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 a newsmaker but 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 I, I know it's it it I had no idea you were going
3: through this. Well and I I think that is important that the point there I think is is well taken in that so many people, elected officials or people serving in other positions of authority or responsibility, we always have to remember that they're people too. And while we may put smiles on and we show up for work and, you know, we will do our jobs and I do I do my job with a joyful heart, um, but understanding that Yes, it was very tense, and especially in the last several years of of marriage, um, there was a point where I absolutely could do nothing right, and the criticisms that were just constantly heaped on my shoulders it was it was really hard. And yet, I think any any woman or any partner that is in that type of a relationship, you know, again, I. I loved my husband, and that's all I had known for 25 years. Um, but it it was really hard to go home and feel like I could never do good enough. Um, uh, there was one point I was told, you know, I, I need somebody to be here at night and cook me supper. You know, and it was just mm-hmm. the realization that I, I am sitting in – the capital of the United States, taking votes for the people of Iowa and such great responsibility. And yet I was boiled down to nothing, but um, I need you here. You're not here to cook me supper. Um, it, it was just demoralizing to me that we couldn't celebrate success. And it was what I couldn't do in the marriage and, and, instead of reveling in success, it just became very, very negative. And, you know, I've always tried to set a good example for my daughter. And she truly is the light of my life. And what I want her to know is that I am a mom, and these are the things that moms can do. These are the things that women can do. A mom can work. A mom can take risks. A mom can serve in uniform. A mother can be a leader, and she can challenge those boys' clubs. Um, I want Libby and all of her friends to understand that there aren't any barriers to their success out there. As long as they have the wherewithal and the courage, you can push through and yet, I would go home and be told that I'm not good enough at XYZ. i Z. I'm not good enough, and others aren't good enough. Um, and it was it was very hard. It was very hard.
1: Well, Senator, uh, thank you for your uh, for this powerful interview. Uh, congratulations again uh, on on the book. Uh, really important story to tell. And um, you know, John and I, I think, just applaud you for uh, for the courage to tell it. Uh, we appreciate the time.
3: I appreciate thank, it. Thank, thank you so much.
0: Thank you Senator Anderson. and I and I can't recommend the, the the book enough. Like I said, it really uh you know, we 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 get these books, we pick them up. It's like, oh, here's another campaign book and I, <laughs> I as I turned every page, I was like, wow. I mean, you you know, you really you really tell a very compelling story. I mean, and it, and it's not just what we've just discussed, but uh Um, you know, about your service in the military and what that meant to you. And, uh, and of course, about Iowa.
3: And I appreciate it so much. And it's not a campaign book, really, but I hope a book of inspiration for others that uh, have maybe faced some of these challenges as well.
0: And and, and is Libby, did Libby just graduate or she have one more year?
3: She has two, actually two years left and she will be commissioned as a second lieutenant in our great United States army.
0: Amazing well uh, congratulations uh uh to her on 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 her success and we wish all the best uh to both of you. Thank you very much for joining us yeah,
3: thank you very much wow Rick
0: um yeah so it's, uh, it's really it's really quite a story and I think that that you know the 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 point that she raised there uh at the end of of you know you don't know what the people you're dealing with are going through um and it doesn't matter if it's some big high and mighty powerful person or you know, somebody you you, you 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 run into on the street. I mean, everybody you know, everybody is, has has things in their lives, uh, uh, that um, that unless you delve in a little bit you, you 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 just you just you just don't know what they're carrying with her. And I you know, you and I both spent a fair amount of time around Joni Ernst. I went out to sure. her to her first roast and ride and uh um, you know i uh, spent time with her in Iowa and washington um uh, at at the convention and um and she was carrying all that with her and, and you know you, if you were just covering her she was all smiles yet you had, yet you, had, you you know and she was uh had had an, you know, a rapidly growing profile um you know she was she, and she is but she was you know very a, a big star in, in in the republican party and you know i mean i had I had no idea what was going on, and I mean, I don't think anybody did.
1: And in this time where it's so easy to uh, dehumanize, delegitimize political opponents, um, uh, to, to hear the humanity in this, and, and the reminder, and I think you know, the, the, it, is, it is a good one. And, you know, John, you and I have both covered politics in, this, in Washington for a long time. And um, I think it's easy for people on one side to say the other side, for the wrong reasons, and there are those people. But most of them are good people doing, trying to do the right thing. And, and I also think in, in, in the way that she describes the, uh, her reaction to, to Donald Trump, it is something I hear from a lot of um, well-meaning and uh, good-hearted Republicans, that they don't like the tweets, they don't like the insults, they don't like the style, they don't like the bluster, the bravado, the, uh, the, the slurs. Uh, but they also recognize a leadership style that, um, that has worked for him and uh you know if we may get to a point where people like Joni Ernst uh, are much more comfortable than saying, "Just cut it out, stop it. I don't like it." most yeah. most Republicans don't say that uh they won't go that far uh, yeah. but uh for now there's they're they're willing to tolerate quite a bit in terms of uh, in terms of his personal behavior uh in in the service of uh, of doing what they think is right policy wise and and seeing. Uh, a, a certain attitude of leadership that he brings, I think, is an important perspective.
0: But I'm sorry, this is not a leadership style. I mean, you know, going on Twitter and retweeting racists, and um, you know, uh, accusing somebody of, of of murder as the president of the United States, um, you know, saying the, the the things he has said about uh, about his political opponents, about frankly the press. Uh, that's not a leadership style. I mean. I what, what I what I find more with with, with supporters of the president is, and, and I think this is probably where Joni Ernst is, and I'll I'll explain why I think she doesn't say it. Um, you know, is uh, a sense of I don't like that stuff. I in fact I hate that stuff, and I wish he would stop. And it's and it's counterproductive, and it hurts him, and it hurts the country. But I think that uh, generally he's going in the right direction, and um, you know, I prefer him over the Democrats. I mean, I'm, I'm way oversimplifying, but I think that's, I think that's the way a lot of, uh, a lot of supporters of the president are. I mean, there are people that love, you know, him so-called, you know, triggering uh, his opponents with, with this stuff. But, but I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, feel that way. And I think that the reason why Senator Ernst stopped short, um, I mean, she got us as, as close as she got to a criticism of, of him on this was, I wish I could rub off a little of my Iowa nice, um, On him Um, because she knows if she comes out and says, knock it off, which I, I, got to believe is where she was, what she believes um, that it's, uh, you know, it's a headline. It's a headline, you know, and the the president. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And and she's, and she's, you know, the bottom line is she's, there's a political reality. She's running for reelection where, you know, the way she's going to win is if, you know, everybody who supports the president in the state of Iowa is going to vote for her. But, you know, you wonder uh, how, how, how long, uh, you know, what, what, you know, what, what can cause that to break. And I, after, frankly, after the last few days, I'm not sure that, that, that anything.
1: Can. <laughs> uh, listen, I, 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 I think, I think nothing short of the president losing re-election is going to break that at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we've been trying to claim this for four years now and Republicans started off during the campaign in 2016. They were more likely to just say, cut it out. This is not, this is not presidential. This is not what we want. Some, some just didn't even endorse him. After he won, I think you saw some testing it out uh, and they've seen the consequences of it. You saw prominent Republicans um, like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker. Uh, basically excommunicated from the party, forced out. Um, Those who remain, uh, Mitt Romney was one of the few to speak up so far on the Joe Scarborough issue saying, stop it already. And we know where Mitt Romney's standing is uh, vis-a-vis the president. And he has nothing that he has to prove in terms of a re-election race. I think the rest of the party, wherever they are in that spectrum, they're on board the Trump train and they will continue there uh, through this crisis and through the election. And then we'll have to see.
0: Well, fascinating and um, I mean a heart-wrenching uh, interview with, uh, with Joni Ernst uh, we, we thank her again uh, for, for joining us and, and for sharing her story with us and that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics I want to again thank our team Trevor Hastings our maven and executive producer Avery Miller who is Trevor's boss uh, and the entire team uh, we'll be back next
3: week